Hello, everyone. We originally recorded this episode with Dr. Anna Hartman on February 8th, 2023, as part of our Learning About Learning webinar series. We're delighted to share it with you now as the next episode of our podcast. In this episode, Anna and I spoke about her research into how small children in a number of Jewish early childhood programs think about Judaism. Like some of the other great studies that we've talked about on this podcast, her research design allowed her to listen really carefully to what those kids were saying, even though she did the research during the pandemic and she couldn't even get into the schools. Instead, she had a group of talented teachers gathering the data on her behalf. And the best part is that these teachers didn't see this as some kind of additional task that they had to do, because gathering documentation from their students is something that they already do as part of their regular teaching practice. Anna discovered some wonderful ideas that the students have in their minds. As you listen to the podcast, you'll hear some examples of big ideas, like what Judaism is all about, and also some smaller ideas, like why a challah cover should be fluffy. That's the word that one child used, fluffy. This conversation is particularly relevant to Jewish professionals and Jewish educators because Anna's research is an example of what we can learn when we slow down and listen as carefully as we can to our students or the participants in our programs. Whether those participants are small children or others, we all have theories, we all have ideas, and the best and the most successful education engages with those ideas. It takes them as resources and materials to work with rather than just mistakes to be corrected or discarded. Thanks for being here, and I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Anna as much as I enjoyed talking with her. Hello, and welcome to the Jack, Joseph, and Morton Mandel Center for Studies in Jewish Education at Brandeis University. My name is John Levison. I'm the director of the Mandel Center, and I'm delighted to bring you another installment in our podcast, Learning About Learning. At the Mandel Center, we are committed to advancing the field of Jewish educational scholarship, especially scholarship on teaching and learning, in order to make a deep and lasting difference on the lives of learners and the vibrancy of the Jewish community. That's our mission. We know that there's great scholarship being done in the field of Jewish education, but it's not always accessible. And even when it is, it's not always obvious why people in the field of Jewish education should care about it. That's what this podcast is about making really interesting scholarship on Jewish education accessible and talking with scholars about why it matters. Thanks for being here, and I hope you enjoy learning about learning as much as I do. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jack Joseph and Morton Mandel Center for Studies in Jewish Education at Brandeis University. Our guest today is my friend and colleague, Dr. Anna Hartman. Anna has been a classroom teacher and director of early childhood programs. She founded the Paradigm Project, which is a network of people working in and on Jewish early childhood education. And she now serves as the director of early childhood excellence at the Jewish United Fund of Chicago. She won a Covenant Award in 2021 for her outstanding work in Jewish education, among other awards, I should say. And last year, she was in our Doctoral Fellows Program here at the Mandel Center as she worked on her doctorate at JTS, which, in fact, she completed last year, which was great. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, the research that went into her doctoral dissertation. Anna, welcome. It's good to see you. Thanks, John. Likewise. 
So we're talking about your doctoral research on children's theories about Judaism. And let's let's start with a little bit of the backstory. How did you decide that you wanted to study children's theories about Judaism? Obviously, I, from your bio, as I just mentioned a little bit, you've been involved in early childhood Jewish education for a long time. But how did you decide you want to study children's theories? And then tell us a little bit about your methodology. How did you undertake the study itself? Great. Well, I'm really interested in how children think. I think I might be a person who's interested in how human beings think. But in particular, I know with from my experience as an educator and as a parent that children really are, as so many of us know, really creative and fascinating thinkers. And something I do in my work is that I really want to listen in and get to know how these individuals think. I think that in Jewish education and Jewish life in general, young children should be considered members of our community. And just like anyone, they have ideas and they have perspectives and they're worth knowing. And I continue to wonder what we might learn when we bring their voices into our conversations. So a little bit about how I did this work. I conducted this study during the pandemic. And the best way I was going to be able to really listen in classrooms was going to be through the children's teachers. I sought out and found six teachers in Jewish early childhood centers around the country to be part of my study. Each of these teachers was experienced in the Reggio Emilia approach, and each one had engaged with children in some kind of emergent investigation of a Jewish idea or topic. And the Reggio approach, which comes out of Italy, is a philosophy and a set of practices that many educators in the U.S. utilize. But what's important for this study is that it involves teachers documenting an entire learning investigation. That's part of the process. So teachers who work using the Reggio approach regularly collect photographs and reflections from the children and the adults, and they capture conversations and the children's own words, often with really exact transcripts. Mm -hmm. I collected and I read the teacher's documentation. I interviewed each teacher. I coded the transcripts, coded any of the interviews, and coded any transcripts I had of children's original words. And then in my analysis, I used open codes so that I could develop a grounded theory of children's theories. So in this case, Reggio Emilia, which is a pedagogy, also serves as a really helpful tool for research. In other circumstances, you might have been able to actually visit the classrooms, gather data directly from the students. You weren't able to do that. But through these collaborating teachers, you were able actually to get indirectly, but still pretty close to the children's artifacts and even actually children's words that you were able to gather up. So they were they were really, these teachers were really like your research assistants. And through them, you were getting to a whole group of, uh, of kids. So let's think about the main argument from this research. I always want to ask scholars uh, sort of at the 30,000 foot level, what do you want people to know about children's theories about Judaism? I want people to know that when children come into their classrooms, they already are bringing with them certain theories or certain approaches or mental models or ways that they understand things. And these theories really shape what the children can and will learn in the classroom. So when teachers listen to children and when they facilitate a Jewish education that is responsive to those theories that are coming in, children can emerge from these experiences with a new and really vital theory. And that theory is that they have a sense that they can make their mark on Judaism. In Jewish education, I feel like we're always talking about transmitting Judaism to the next generation. But what does that even mean? What does it look like? And I think in this study, we can get the sense that children really are not passive receivers, but rather they're actively involved in receiving and charting a path forward for the Torah and for Judaism. So when you think about the theories, right, and this is for folks out kind of outside this world, what do you mean that, that kids have theories? Well, kids actually have ideas. They have ideas about how the world works. Some of them are quite sophisticated. Some of them are sort of amusingly off, but still fascinating because that's the stuff that they're bringing with. 
And you're making the claim that the same thing goes about, about Judaism, about the nature of Judaism. About, so can you give us an example? What's, what's an example of a child's theory about Judaism? Do you want me to take you in? Maybe I can take you into one of these studies and we can talk a sure. little bit about it. Does that work? Sure. So let me tell you a little bit about a teacher that we'll call Bailey. She's a teacher in the New York area. And you'll see sort of how children's learning is not dissimilar to the way we all learn in life. So Bailey and this class of four-year-olds went on quite a learning journey. It involved weaving, it involved challah covers, and tzedakah. So a couple important things contextually. So in advance, you should know one of the children had a lemonade stand at her house, and they the children made a lemonade stand at school, and they were just over the moon over this. Teachers also had attended a workshop uh, about weaving uh, and how to weave with children. And also contextually, this synagogue has a homeless shelter, and families each week bring in food for the homeless shelter. So as the year progressed, the children got into this weaving the teachers brought into school, and they, they set up shop as super weavers, and they were weaving challah covers, and they decided they would use the proceeds from selling them to buy clothing for the men in the shelter. But then something happened, that the class pencil holder broke, and the children worked with the teachers and tried to recreate the pencil holder using weavings that they had been creating. And then they realized, wait a minute, the weaving could like have a purpose. Hmm. And this was a big realization. Um, and one day as they were playing around, one of the children placed a weaving on top of the challah in the class on a Friday. Uh -huh. And someone said, look, a challah cover. Uh -huh. <laughs> a moment before, right? Like this is how it happens. And so in the months that follow, the children embarked on a study of challah covers. They wrote their own blessings for the challah. They had an advertising campaign to promote challah sales. And the project culminated in a trip to a department store where the children brought the items that the shelter managers had suggested would be important. And so all of this happens over the course of a year. And the teacher doesn't usually have time to really go back and say, well, what's like, what's really happening for the children here? But through the Reggio process of documentation, which both involves the collection and the discussion and the interpretation, the teacher has the opportunity to talk about it. So when we talked together and I talked with Bailey, we were really trying to get at what do the children know and what are they telling us? What is like behind and beneath um, everything that they're saying? And I'm going to tell you more as we go on about some of the things they had to say about tzedakah. Um, uh -huh. But that's really what you're trying to get at is what's beneath this? What do they already know about this idea of tzedakah? What's sticking and how does that relate to and how is that different from what they might think as an adult? Right. So one of the things that I remember, one of the really charming things that I remember from that example in your work is there was an investigation that the children together with the teachers it was an investigation of this idea of a challah cover. And rather than saying, you know, there is a preset form of challah cover in this kind of exploratory spirit, they were trying to figure out, well, you know, what's a challah cover for? And one of the things that emerged from, I don't know how many students, at least at least one student, that a challah cover keeps the challah kind of warm and toasty and comfortable. And that I like, that's really fascinating. I had never thought of a challah cover like a blanket. And so this is like a micro theory. This isn't like a grand theory about all of Judaism. It's a micro theory that the child has, like in that child's imagination, the purpose of a challah cover is to, not that the child thinks that the challah is animate, but that at some level, there's an analogy. I like to be tucked in at bedtime and I like to tuck the challah in with a warm or, you know, comfy blanket. I remember comfy was part of the, part of the description. Yes. And fluffy. Fluffy, fluffy was fluffy. The, <laughs> that's exactly it. So what's going on in the child's mind? What are the ten associations that they have? And actually what a loving way of thinking about a ritual, something that we care about 
we want to make sure that they're fluffy. And the children ask the rabbi, is it a prerequisite? Not in their words. Does the challah cover have to be fluffy? Fluffy. Awesome examples. And is that important? Right, right, right. And, you know, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but it's a fascinating question to ask, well, then what are the qualities, right? What what qualities do we want to have in a challah cover if we actually have some autonomy over, over creating our own challah covers? So along the way, you discovered in this work among these students in, in these six locations that there are four central themes. There are children's theories about Jewishness, about God, about Jewish ritual, and about tzedakah. Those were kind of four main themes that you noticed um, coming up kind of regularly across these, across these settings. So I want to focus on their theories of Jewishness for a moment. Here's something that you wrote. You wrote, the children in this study seem to equate being Jewish with celebration and action. Being Jewish means that you celebrate Jewish holidays and Shabbat. They actually say things like this. So these are quotes from the kids. Jewish means you celebrate holidays or Jewish means you get to have Shabbat. So this makes a lot of sense to me. And I can I can sort of imagine kids saying this. And then once I start to think about it, it's fascinating to me that by focusing on holidays, they're actually there's something else that they seem not to be saying. For example, they don't say that being Jewish, or at least in this, you know, in the in what you have gathered, they don't say that being Jewish is part of um, is about being part of a family or a nation, which is like a different conception of Jewishness. So, I, first, I just want to check: does that seem right to you from from the data that you saw? And does your study suggest that at least for these kids, that they think about being Jewish as doing rather than being in relationship? So I have a few thoughts on this. The first is that this idea of seeing Judaism as action and celebration is very consistent with child development theory in general, right? This idea that through action, a young child develops a sense of who they are. So one of the wise teachers in this study said, there is no cognition without the tangible, without the hands-on. Um, and at these young stages, children are just getting a sense of the various circles in which they belong. They know their parents and their siblings, and eventually they get a sense, oh, beyond that, there's the classroom and my classmates and the larger school. And really only at age four do most children really conceive of the world beyond their own neighborhoods. Um, so that conception grows and grows. And you're right, in terms of understanding Jewishness, this study does suggest that the idea of being Jewish being as being part of a family or nation doesn't yet seem to be a part of children's theories of Judaism. Mm -hmm. And second, like people of any age, young children are making connections and meaning from their encounters. They may look back on their early childhood experience when they're older and say, wow, my formative years really fostered in me a sense of community, the sense that being Jewish is about being a part of a family. And there are definitely theories that are being crafted at this age that are just not yet fully formed or detectable. And third, while the children seem to have this idea of Judaism being about action and celebration, there's more to it because they're already on the cusp of a new theory that's more nuanced. So I'll give you an example. So there's a discussion in one of the classes about Hanukkah and Christmas. So if being Jewish means celebrating Jewish holidays, then it stands to reason that Jews celebrate Hanukkah and people who are not Jewish may celebrate Christmas. Right. So this is how the children processed this. And these are all direct quotes. Jewish means you can't celebrate Christmas and you can celebrate Hanukkah. I'm a Jewish girl, even though I celebrate Christmas. When people are Jewish, they might celebrate Christmas and some people might celebrate Hanukkah. My cousins are not Jewish and they celebrate Christmas. I celebrate Hanukkah and I'm Jewish too. I celebrate Hanukkah, but not Christmas and I'm Jewish. And then I think this is the big punchline. One child says, you know something, Jews always celebrate Hanukkah, but not Jews, people who are not Jewish, never celebrate Hanukkah. And then another child says, some people celebrate Christmas, even though they are not Christmas people. Jewish people can have fun at Christmas. 
<laughs> it's like they're like working through the logical possibilities here. You can almost start to do the Venn diagram and like they're trying to work it out. You hear the wheels turning, right? They're really trying to process this. And again, they are thinking primarily about practice. They're thinking about what you do, right? There is an idea that some people are, what did they say, uh, Christmas people or, uh, right, not not Jews, Christmas people. So there is a identity component here, but it seems to be a component that's primarily expressed in terms of this thing that you do, particularly this very visible thing, which makes sense also in the American, you know, in the American context that this is a, that this is a very visible thing. I'm curious whether this showed up in other kinds of practices beyond the holidays. You mean this this nuance and this kind of the reasoning pieces? Well, or or the idea that what it means to be a Jew is to do X. I'd have to go back. And what I want to say, I mean, you having, thank you for being one of the very few readers of my dissertation. Uh, we need more research in this area. Yeah. I mean, yeah. each of these areas, I noticed they were salient across at least four of my six schools that I worked with. And we need to get in and listen more because right. we need the transcripts. That's really the most important part is to really look at it like a text. That's something I would recommend as we come, you know, in this podcast today, that that's something that teachers make time for that and that schools enable them to make that time. Right. That they document, that that they record, that they keep the artifacts to give us the opportunity to actually for us to investigate the kids, the kids thinking um, a little bit of a departure. How do you think about I'm sure I'm sure you've considered the kind of methodological challenge. Well, so these are six classrooms, uh, but do these patterns hold beyond these six classrooms? How do you think about that question? I just think we need more research. One of my own advisors said to me, look, all you're trying to do is move the field forward an inch here. That's that's the that's what you can do in a study. So I should be so lucky as to have moved an inch. And I hope that I've identified here areas that make someone say, is that true? Or I wonder if that's true with a bigger study. Um, and I think that each of the pieces that I brought into this that I emerged with, everything surprised me that I learned. And I wouldn't have picked Sadaka, for example, as something I would have thought would have been uh, something that especially animated children. Um, and I really look forward to seeing what someone else will say when they look at this. But I right. did, I mean, the the I feel that the methodology is sound enough to look across. It's not just one case study. It's looking across six. And in everywhere that I looked, I was looking for, what am I seeing predominate the discussion? Right, right. And you do have, you are thinking about the kind of internal diversity within the Jewish community. You're looking, you're not looking across the entire Jewish community, obviously, but there is, there is some internal diversity and, and um, some geographic diversity. Um, I want to circle back to this. Uh, you just mentioned the issue of tzedakah. So I want to I want to circle back to that, which on the one hand is linked to action, right? Because tzedakah is a, is a doing, but it comes up pretty strongly in the in the thesis uh, because it was there in the data. So, for example, one of the teachers says this is a quote from of one of your colleagues. I noticed that as soon as I said to do something Jewish, a mitzvah, the children immediately focused on giving money to the poor. To me, this reflects how giving tzedakah is already part of their developing Jewish identity. So that's a quote from a teacher who was noticing that, at least in some settings, doing Jewish for the kids immediately brought them to this place of tzedakah. So even fairly young children were thinking giving money in this paradigm, giving money is what it means to do. So how do you think about this link between Jewishness and tzedakah? 
Well, I think in the study, we get hints that the act of giving tzedakah is one that's meaningful to children. And there's a lot of excitement around it. Um, and that's what you, you hear from the teachers talking about it. And what I think is happening is that the children are noticing a lot of clues around them, that tzedakah is important. And the clues they're getting are environmental, developmental, relational, practical. They're related to rituals. And I want to just talk about a couple of those. So picture what's happening in the mind, what learning is happening, and what does it look like in the mind of the child? And I'm going to give you the words of one of these very smart teachers that I interviewed. The teacher said, what's happening in the mind? You're constantly revisiting subject matter in different ways. I'm swirling my hands because, you know, you're swirling. That's what's happening in the mind. You're making neural connections. And this process continues as the child approaches an idea from different angles. Every different modality offers a new lens to think about a topic more deeply and to circle back. So think of Tzedakah. There's environmental clues. So some of the children in the study notice, we realize that they notice, they see people who need money when they're in their strollers or on the subway coming to school. One child said, if someone needs money, we give it to them. I saw somebody on the train who needed money. Okay, that's the environmental side. Similarly, in one school, the act of bringing food for individuals in the temple homeless shelter raises the prominence of the issue. Okay, so it's swirling some more. There's the domain of reasoning. This is what three children said in discussion. People need money to buy toys. Kids get that. If people don't have money, they would cry. So we have to give it to them. We have to raise money. And one child said, people need money if they don't have it. Okay, so they know. And there's a developmental factor at play. This is like what you said about the fluffy challah cover. Being taken care of is what these children know. One child said, so they don't have anything to eat. So we give them something to eat and drink. Someone else said, we want them to have food because they need food. And this is what they're in the middle of. Developmentally, they're in the thick of a lifelong process of learning empathy. So like in one discussion that the children had about being kind, they say things like being kind means helping others or helping my brother be nice. <laughs> Others said, I'm kind when I push Leia in the swing. I always say please or thank you. Being people's friends. And one child said, if we kept the money, it wouldn't be nice. We should give it to people who need it. It would be nicer to give to people without money. So this whole question of what does it mean to be nice? What does it mean to be kind? And they're getting clues from their family. One child said, I like to give people what they need. It's one of my favorites. At home, I have baby clothes that I don't wear. So we're giving it away to be kind. And they're learning through the rituals. They're seeing the rituals really comes up in this study. So they're being asked to give tzedakah regularly in their class, in their Jewish school. And that's really important. Like kids are really noticing patterns and rituals, and they know that that means it's something important. And there's a lot of more research on this when, I mean, I think when I did more research to find out like, how does this jive with other research on philanthropic giving? There's a lot of talk about how children that raising money and, and giving money with children should be more about intrinsic motivations and it shouldn't be such a prescriptive moral education. And also incredibly, there's research into children's charitable giving that says that beginning at this age, at a young age, rather than in the teen years, doubles the likelihood that this will become a habit in adulthood. And what's that about? I mean, is it just the enthusiasm? Enthusiasm. I mean, it's just like children really are wired to this. That's what we seem to be getting from this research. And I look forward to hearing what others have to say as they are yeah. looking. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to think, I mean, you used, you sort of casually used the term children are wired. I don't think you mean that sort of the human species, but I do think if we think about our contemporary culture, our child raising habits, the language, the conversations that we have, the fact that, you know, children experience people taking care of them and they may, you know, even at, at young age, they are aware that not everybody has that, right? What we would now call an awareness of privilege 
but they are aware that they, you know, in most cases, they actually have somebody taking care of them, but they know that not everybody gets what they need. And there are real moral theories at work that are being developed. And the wonderful contribution that you're making is one of the wonderful contributions that you're making is to say, this is actually a theory of Judaism. Like these are very small children, but they very clearly see that this, whatever exactly it means, this is what Judaism teaches, or this is what Judaism is, maybe not even teaches. It, this is what Judaism is, right? Giving tzedakah is what being Jewish is, I don't know, about or, or or how to enact it, something like that, which is really quite dramatic. I mean, we still operate in a context where a lot of folks assume that children are ignorant and need to be taught a lot of things. But once we start listening in the way, Anna, that you listen to children and you pay attention to what they're actually saying, we, we realize they know a lot of stuff. There's a lot of material that we can work with when, as soon as we, start, uh, as we start to listen. We're almost out of time. We're running up against the time. So I, I want to circle back about the implications for early childhood educators and, and, uh, and the work that they do. And obviously, that's a huge question. But what do you think Jewish educators should learn from your work about children's theories about Judaism? And why does this research matter? So first, I want to say with humility, I mean, this study is about learning from really smart uh, educators already in the field. So sometimes maybe that's the lesson is to elevate the voice of the teacher a little bit. But overall, uh, I really think, and I think teachers do this, but I want us to all, those who sit in scholarly positions and in um, funding positions and in community organizing positions, just to really think about it, paying attention to children, to how they think and who they are. You reminded me, John, for any parent who's driven through the city and ever seen a homeless person, your kid mentions it in the car every time. You want the kid to stop asking, like, what are we going to do to help? But they, they're seeing things. They're unbelievably relational. So we want to pay attention to them. How do they think? Who they are? And I think we should ask ourselves, are we really doing that in Jewish education? Sure, we say that, but are we really doing that? And I believe that together with children as active partners, we will build Judaism. And I think that Judaism will be better for it. And to engage children as our partners, we really have to understand how they think. We have to get into this question of what are their theories? Just this conversation you and I had today. What's that about? Where's that coming from? I and mean, we need to promote pedagogies that make space for these kinds of really exciting investigations. And as you mentioned, you know, the study offers the idea that children are bringing three theories into the classroom. And I want to lift that up for teachers. Teachers know this, right? The world is mine to make sense of. That's what the child is already coming with. I'm going to make sense of it together with you. And I'm going to do it using my whole self. And when you break these theories down and you teach according to these theories, then we're setting in motion this fourth theory in the minds of the children, the theory that I can make my mark on Judaism. And to me, that's an unbeatable outcome for Jewish early childhood education. Thank you, Anna. Um, so one of, I think one of the key takeaways is really to think not just about the specifics of the theories that you uncovered, but also how would it change our pedagogy if we started to listen the way that you listen and that your colleagues, these wonderful colleagues on whom you relied, um, how they listen and how they document and how they pay attention to what the, these kids are, are saying and thinking. Anna, thank you. It's great to talk with you about your work. I want to thank everyone for joining us. I encourage you to check out the Mandel Center events page to learn about other upcoming events, uh, as well as um, videos of prior events. Uh, I want to call your attention to our spotlight session coming up on Machloket, 
uh, with a terrific group of people uh, with whom I will be talking about what Machloket looks like at its best and how we can foster a culture of principled disagreement. And then we have uh, other sessions in our Learning About Learning series. Uh, March 15th, I'll be speaking with Professor Alana Horowitz on the topic of what girls learn in Jewish families. Thank you all again for joining us. Be well.